0: Welcome to The ACO Show, I'm Josh Israel. Most value-based care is focused primarily on adults, especially the elderly. Those are the patients who on average have the most illness and therefore the most healthcare costs. Accountable care organizations, like the ones that Alidaid works with, tries to reduce the illness burden on patients and the cost of the system, primarily by enabling more primary care and better preventive care, and helping doctors know when their patients need additional attention, such as if they've just gotten discharged from the hospital or just been seen in the emergency department. But what about the pediatric population? Would the same principles be effective? In North Carolina, Allidate set up a pediatric accountable care organization, and the answer was yes. My guests today were Dr. Karen McClelland, who's a pediatrician in Clyde, North Carolina, and Carissa Prater, who helped run the accountable care organization for pediatrics in North Carolina. Stay tuned and hear how they did it. I'm joined now by Carissa Prater, who was Allidade's Market Manager for the Pediatric ACO, and Dr. Karen McClellan, who is a pediatrician at Hayward Pediatric and Adolescent Medicine in Clyde, North Carolina. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much. So we're going to be talking today about pediatric ACOs. There, is, there are not a lot of them. There's not a lot of pediatric value-based care. So Dr. McClellan, why don't we just start, if you could describe what your practice is like, and then we'll get into value-based work.
1: Sure. Thank you for having me. So we are a group that has two locations. We have five pediatricians and two pediatric nurse practitioners. We are still independent. We're located west of Asheville, so in the mountains of North Carolina. We've always had an interest in, I I mean, I think pediatricians in general, what we do is preventive medicine, right? We that do vaccines. We do well baby visits. We're trying to prevent those chronic conditions that develop as folks get older. And so we've always felt like it, that was an important thing for us to be doing. Through the years, there's been some different options and opportunities in the western part of the state. We've had several independent practices who have Been interested in providing better disease management for chronic conditions such as asthma, obesity, and had grouped together originally just on our own to try to work on improving, you know, trying to share best practices about how to make sure our folks with asthma were taking their meds properly or being seen by the specialists. Then over time, then we had this opportunity to join Alidaid through this Blue Cross Blue Shield contract and a number of us you know we were interested to see if we could demonstrate to Blue Cross Blue Shield that we were providing the kind of quality care that we thought we were and so this was kind of an exciting opportunity for us to to join Alliedate
0: what do you think is the reason there's not more pediatric uh, ACOs <laughs>
1: I I, th- I think the thought is is that we just don't have the volume of chronic disease, and so there's not the the. So-called low-hanging fruit of of easy things to fix. You know, most of our kids are healthy, and so the the spend on those kids is kind of straightforward. So then you're looking at kind of small margins of being able to show to, to again to show that the insurance companies, hey, we're providing good care, and they'll say, well, sure, you said you were providing good care, and here's. Here's what you get. This is you had a well kid and they're still well.
0: So there's less illness to prevent. So that makes it harder to show that you've done good work. Is that is that what you mean?
1: I, I think so. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And Carissa, what was your role in the ACO?
2: So I was the market manager for the ACO. So I worked with the practices across North Carolina to make sure that they had good workflows in place to capture the quality measures and to make sure that we had good workflows to capture our chronic conditions with our kids that did have things going on outside of, of your, our typical kids in the ACO.
0: So, Carissa, we had thought earlier in the year to do a show about pediatric ACOs, but we wanted to wait until we got some numbers, until we got some results. And I understand that we have some now. Can you share those?
1: Absolutely.
2: So, overall, a, for our quality score, we, we achieved our maximum quality score possible with a uh, blue cross which was a 4.0 which unlocked the maximum amount of quality and shared savings that that we had earned which was about 2.6 million dollars across the ACL for 2021
0: and Dr. McClellan, what did it look like to you on the ground how did how did that happen
1: so some of it was workflows, again, that we already had in place. We were bringing in our, our babies. We were bringing in our adolescents, trying to make sure that they, we were getting them into the office for their wellness visits. Some of that had been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, we'd had some time where folks didn't want to come to the office. So it, it did mean that we had to do a bit more outreach, although in general, that's a workflow that we'd had. Again, part of that is making sure that they're getting the appropriate vaccines we were also doing some tracking of our kids with chronic conditions, particularly our asthmatics, and then also demonstrating to, to Blue Cross Blue Shield that if we do have children with chronic conditions, and primarily for our group, it's kids with asthma, kids with ADHD, certainly our children with depression and anxiety, uh, showing to, to that, they, that these children were part of our panel and making sure that that they were aware that these folks these these kids were out there and that we were taking care of them.
0: When we do value based care, outcomes based care with the Medicare population one of the key things we try to do is make sure people get the right care at the right time. And the goal is to keep them out of the hospital, keep them out of the emergency department. That's the part where keeping them healthy seems to generate the most savings. I assume it's not quite the same for kids, right? They're just not getting hospitalized at the same rates. So so Carissa, when you saw the the savings, where did that come from?
2: So we're still digging into some of the data to see exactly how we were so successful last year, but there are some things that we implemented that we believe contributed to the savings. One of those things is through the Allidade app, we raise up kids who had been recently seen in the emergency room. And previously, there weren't great workflows for all of our practices to be notified that those kids had been in the emergency room. So raising those up and and adjusting workflows so that our clinical support staff could do outreach and talk to those patients and parents about why they went to the emergency room, educating them on when it's good to go and to always call them first. A lot of our PEDS practices have excellent access to care. Many are open on weekends and holidays and evenings. And so we had a really good opportunity to jump in and educate our patient population and try to steer them more towards the practice and away from the emergency room when we could. So that was a huge opportunity, I I think. And then another thing was, is just, you know, setting the benchmark with our payer, um, you know, coding chronic conditions every year so that the payer knows exactly how sick the sick kids are was a new concept for our peds practices. And something that our Allidate app also helped our our pediatricians with is, is knowing when a chronic condition might not have been addressed with a kid that year and giving them an opportunity to jump in. So when a kid was there for an upper respiratory infection, making sure that they're checking in on that asthma and getting that code on the claim so that our payers know exactly how sick our patient population is or isn't and that our docs are getting recognized for the good care that they're giving.
0: So when you say raising up in the Allidate app, I think you mean that the Allidate data platform will let physicians and other healthcare providers know that their patient has been in the emergency department. Dr. McClellan, before you started using the Allidaid data platform, would you have known when your patients were in the ER?
1: So no, not always. The, we would eventually hear or get a fax of a discharge summary from the emergency department in our area we have four emergency departments that our, our children can go to and several urgent cares of course there's a time lag between when the paperwork would get to our office and, and because of it the alliedate platform being a claims based platform it was significantly faster Uh, In terms of more real-time information being presented to our office, which allowed our triage nurses and support staff to then be able to call, which our, our, our families appreciate. You know, they liked being able to hear from us to say, wow, you know, I would have several families that would make follow-up appointments based on that. And they would be like, yeah, we were so happy that, you know, your nurse reached out to check on us. And, and we didn't know that you would make sure that we were okay. And and we're like, well, yeah, of course we would. <laughs> but it was, you know, they, they very much appreciated it. And it, you know, sometimes they didn't need to come back in, but either way, it, it did make it just help us close the loop, so to speak.
0: Yeah, families love it when somebody reaches out to them after they've been in the hospital or Mm -hmm. the emergency Mm -hmm. department. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you have to change your staffing or the way that your office ran day to day in order to have somebody be available to make those kind of outreach phone calls?
1: we utilized triage nurses our um, registered nurses who do a lot of our answering at phones and helping scheduling appointments and offering advice during the day so we rolled that work into their day-to-day job description so so no it, it wasn't a huge change and we were trying to offer that sort of outreach regardless but this it with when we would get the previous faxes but it was a faster timeline.
0: One of Validate's main hypotheses when we first got into ACO work with the older population is that more primary care is good, more primary care visits. It leads to preventive screenings, things like colonoscopies or mammograms. Those are obviously not things that are going to play out for kids. Carissa, what are some of the, the things that happen at a pediatric wellness visit that are more likely to happen when we bring kids in for more regular preventive care?
2: Yeah, it definitely provides more opportunity to educate the patient and their parents around vaccinations. Also, around just growth and development altogether. More frequent check ins give an opportunity to notice an issue before it becomes a big issue. But also, as our little kids become big kids, it helps them become comfortable with the relationship with their provider or their healthcare provider so that as they become older and more accountable for their own care hopefully they'll continue to see their practitioner and continue to go in for their well exams and feel comfortable reaching out to their clinicians when they're sick or need help.
0: Dr. McCallon any just general growing pains or surprises as you've started this like what what can we what can we learn as we try to scale this?
1: <laughs> it's more this idea of diagnosis coding and benchmarking and disease, chronic disease management that is just a very different thing than pediatricians have done. We weren't in shared savings. We aren't in Medicare, to, Medicare Advantage programs, where I think a lot of this seems to be happening already. This is still rel- relatively new to, very new to most pediatricians. You know, yes, we put codes out there on claims, but the idea, you know, I think that the, the challenge is just trying to make sure that we fully and accurately code to help the insurance companies understand what types of chronic conditions our patients have. And part of that challenge too is that, again, maybe through the Allidade platform, if you were in an internal medicine practice, you would have multiple coding suggestions every day. Whereas in a pediatric practice, we may only have one or two. So it's not as many, but that also means if you don't accurately code, you've missed those opportunities. So it's not so much a a volume issue, it's being our percentage, it means each one is worth more.
0: In our work, growing value-based care, we often run into skeptics. So Carissa, I know you've been out there talking to new practices. What sort of barriers or concerns do you hear when people are thinking about joining a pediatric ACO?
2: Well, they are skeptical that there's any money to be made that there's any any value there so absolutely call, making those phone calls with those shared savings mounts this year for last year was very rewarding and <laughs> and definitely put some fuel back in those providers tanks but i think one of the real challenges too was launching pediatric ACO during a pandemic and our 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 healthcare providers were very very busy with sick kids and every sniffle needed a doctor's note for school and when the the schedules were so full with these sick visits it was really difficult to keep those chronic conditions top of mind so that was really a challenge, you know, when your schedule's really full and you might be double booked several times that day and a kid comes in for a sprained ankle and no one's talked to them about their asthma or maybe their depression or autism. It can be a challenge to teach the the providers the value in that, taking the minute to really make sure that 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 condition is is checked in on on those busy days.
0: So Chris, once you got people to to buy in to join join the ACO what were some of the things that you, you really tried to, uh, to improve?
2: Well, we worked with the practices to find out what the workflows were already to try to find areas of opportunity. And one of the, one of the things we noticed right off the bat was a lot of practices were shocked at their performance on the W15 measure, which is kids need six well visits by the time they are 15 months old. And we were typically coming up like one shy. And so we dug in and found that often the three to five day visit or the one month visit were um, being coded as weight checks. But when we talked to the the practices about what was happening during those visits, they were following the bright futures periodicity schedule that guides pediatricians and what needs to happen at each visit. And they were really performing all of the components of a well visit. So We adjusted our workflow there, and our performance on that measure went up significantly. One other takeaway we had was late last year, we were wondering, what's up with our combo two measure? Why are we not doing better? And the combo two measure is our adolescent vaccination measure where they're expected to have a complete HPV series, one Tdap and one meningococcal vaccine. So we took the list of patients who were not meeting the measure and dug into what vaccines had they or had they not had. And we found that almost 40% of our patients who did not meet that measure, it was because they didn't complete the HPV series but had started it, or they had completed the series after their 13th birthday. In North Carolina, we don't have much trouble with the Tdap and meningococcal vaccines because they're required by our school systems, but we were struggling with completing the HPV vaccine. So we worked with our to make sure our medical assistants understood the importance of the HPV vaccinations and that they weren't presenting them as your child is due for three vaccines today, two are required and one's optional. They were just simply presenting that the child was due for three vaccines that day. We investigated through studies what were the ways that vaccines were presented that that parents were the most responsive to. And we had a good discussion amongst the providers on on how to approach those vaccines and making sure that our support staff was well-educated around the why. And then we started to raise up those kids who had had one of the two HPV vaccines
1: to make sure that they got their second
0: so Dr. McClellan, any plans for 2023 to further improve this?
1: Sure, there's always plans. We have a new practice that we're onboarding that we're really excited to bring in and so we'll be working with them. We have feel like we've done a great job with educating our physician champions through Alidaid. and now one of our goals is to be getting out into the practices, not just to the champions, but to all the physicians and providers to really see, because sometimes just hearing it from a different person, some of these same ideas, all of a sudden click about value-based care, you know, so it may be the exact same message, but a different person or a slightly different wording and all of a sudden it makes sense. So we're hoping to continue to work on educating all of the practices as we go this year And as always, you know, when you've done a good job, you have to get better. So we're going to continue to work on demonstrating improvements in our vaccination rates and wellness visits and make it through this flu COVID RSV pandemic that we're currently in.
0: (laughs) Dr. Karen McClellan of Haywood Pediatric and Adolescent Medicine of Clyde, North Carolina. And Carissa Prater, who was the market manager for the pediatric ACO and is now the Medicaid performance manager for Allied. Thank you both for coming on the show and congratulations on the success.
1: Thank you. This episode was produced by Leanne Horst, Alana Coogan, and Stuart Taylor. You can find more episodes of the ACO show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and join us next time.